Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John asked the question, what happens after Easter? And now here is Pastor John with today's message. Matthew 28, three verses in the seven, almost seven years that I've been the pastor here, if you have not heard me read this scripture, I don't know what happened. You, you, you should probably have memorized it by now. These three scriptures, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's why we can sing, our God reigns. Therefore, so because he has all authority and all power on heaven and earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just, we thank you so much that we can be a part of your kingdom. We thank you that you invite us into your story, that you invite us into what you're doing on this earth. We are not worthy, never were. We cannot be on our own, but because of what you did through Jesus, you have made us worthy to participate in your kingdom. So God, I pray that today you would help us to hear what your word is to us. That we would, as, as I speak, that it would not be my words, but yours that come through. Because we need to be changed, transformed by the renewing of our minds, which comes through the word of God. So Lord, help us to be not just hearers today, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, Easter has come and gone for another year. And it, it was late in the year, but my goodness, it seemed like it got here fast this year. So here's how you know Easter's gone. All the bunnies have hopped back into the woods. The baby chicks are all sold out at the feed and seed. And soon on social media, you will see people trying to sell adolescent chickens because they ain't cute anymore. And, and the real egg hunt, the one that the dads uh, do on the lawnmower, uh, the real egg hunt is about to begin. Makes a really cool sound when it comes out the, the chute, let me just tell you. So my question today for all of us is, what happens after Easter? What happens after Easter? You see, so much focus is given on the, on the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ each year, and rightfully so. It is the foundation of our faith and our belief system. But so many people treat the resurrection of Jesus as if it's the end of the story. Like the Bible ends with that passage, right? Jesus was born, he lived, he was crucified, buried, dead, and rose from the grave. Hallelujah, the end. But that's not the case. The resurrection of Jesus isn't the end of the story. In many ways, it's the beginning of the story. 
his physical body glorified, but his body was about to leave the earth and return to the right hand of the Father. But his spiritual body, us, the church, was just being born. It was just about to, to be birthed onto this earth. So what happened after Easter was the establishment and the commissioning of the church, the body of Christ. He said it in our opening scripture. Here's your assignment. Go change the world with the gospel. That's what Jesus said. So let me ask you this question. What happens after Easter for you? What happens after Easter for us? Some of you may have gotten saved during the Easter holiday. Some of you may have rededicated your lives to the Lord. Some of you may just have this renewed zeal and passion for the things of God. And all of that is great fruit of the Easter season. It's wonderful. It's a win. But what happens next? See, there are 51 other weeks of the year besides Easter. I believe that God's will for us now is exactly what his will was for them then. So if the question is, what happens after Easter? It's time for his body to go change the world. God wants you and me to change the world. So I want us to look at the, at the life of Paul and see if we can find a pattern that we can follow so that we can also get up and about the business that Jesus called and commissioned us to do, changing the world. Now, let me deal with the pushback right out of the gate because your response to my statement that, you, that we are to go change the world was slightly underwhelming. So let me deal with maybe some of the, the, the questions in your mind right out of the gate. Some of you are already thinking, now hang on, John. I, I don't think everyone is going to change the world like Paul did. And, and let me tell you, I can concede that I will agree with you on that. Because there was only one Paul, right? There's, there was only one James. There was only one Priscilla. There was only one Martin Luther. There was only one Billy Graham. There's only one T.D. Jakes or Joyce Meyer. But can I tell you something today? If you believe that and if you agree with that, then you also have to believe this. There's only one you. Amen. There's only one you. None of these world changers woke up one morning and just decided like on a Tuesday that they were going to go change the world. They were just trying to be obedient to the call of God on their lives, just trying to do the next right thing. So if your objection is, I'm not called to change the world, my response is, how do you know? How do you know what God's plan is for you? How do you know what he's going to do in and through your life? And here's my second response. You may not be called to change the world, but everybody's called to change somebody's world, even if it's just your own. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is revolutionary. It's not just pleasant. It's not just sweet and kind. It's revolutionary. It always changes lives. There is no such thing as a life who receives Jesus and remains unchanged. 
You say, but John, I have heard and I agree with the teachings of Jesus and I have added them to other systems of of belief that I ascribe to. My life hasn't changed, but I have assented to the teachings of Jesus. Listen to me. I'm not talking about receiving the teachings of Jesus. I'm talking about receiving the person of Jesus, and that's not the same thing. Two completely different things. When you receive the person of Jesus Christ as Lord and master of your life, your world will change. Because listen to me, Jesus is not an accessory for you to just add to what you, whatever you've got going on. Jesus is an extreme makeover all by himself. He does wardrobe changes. He doesn't do accessories. He's the God of the universe. He's the creator of everything. You don't add him on to anything. He is everything in your life. So the old stuff passes away. All things become new. Your desires begin to change. Your interests begin to change. Your attitudes and actions, they start changing. Your goals and your plans and your aspirations start to change. When you surrender to Jesus, there is no area of your life that's off limits to him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a life-changing gospel fueled by the power of the resurrection. So what happens after Easter? You have to respond to the call to change the world. And whether you reach one or a million That life change always begins with you. It always begins with you. One submitted, surrendered person. So I see three stages in Paul's life that we're going to look at today that I think we can relate to and apply to ours. Now you can call this a lot of different things. You can call these steps a lot of different things. You could call them know, grow, and go, like it's a part of our our mission statement, our vision statement. Know Jesus, grow in your faith, go boldly into your mission field. You could do hear, understand, and do. But today I want to call it, I want to call it relationship, revelation, and revolution. Relationship, revelation, and revolution. No matter what you call them, the steps to life change are always the same. So let's look at the first one, and it is and will always be relationship. Relationship. Acts chapter 9, the first six verses we're going to read about how Paul established a relationship with Jesus. Now, Paul's name was originally his mama named him Saul. Okay? But because of the the impact of the change in his life when he came to Jesus, his name was changed from Saul to Paul. So if I call him the other name, y'all can switch that for me in your minds, right? Y'all okay? All right. Um, Some of you were like that. Some of you were completely different people before you met Jesus. Can I get an amen on that? You're unrecognizable who Jesus made you to be from who you were when you started. And that's a thank you Jesus moment right there. Amen. Now let's read the scripture. Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 6. Meanwhile Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters to the synagogues in Damascus, that's in Syria, north of Israel, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. 
He wanted to bring them back, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you must be told and you will be told what you must do. Life change begins with a relationship with God and that relationship begins with you hearing his voice. Now it might not have been audible for you the way it was for Saul, but at some point in your life you will hear God speaking to you. I'm going to show it to you in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So faith comes from what? Hearing Hearing the good news about Christ. Coming to a relationship with Jesus requires faith and hearing. I want to show it to you in Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by His grace when you believed. That's the faith part. Of it. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to talk about faith a little bit more. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. It requires faith and hearing. Faith requires that we hear God's voice through His Word through His Spirit, as He calls us, through whatever means God chooses to communicate. And you know what? He's God. He can do it a bunch of different ways. And what works for me and what communicates with me may not be what works for you, but as long as it's rooted and grounded and based in the written Word of God, as long as God is speaking to you, you better tune in and listen. Did you know there is a great revival going on in the Middle East among the Muslim population. And it's really remarkable, especially coming from the American church perspective, it's really remarkable in nations that are closed to the gospel, in nations where it's illegal to preach and proclaim the name of Jesus, people are risking their lives to become Christians. Some of them are hearing the gospel shared from members of an underground church, or some might have found some means on the internet or other form of media to get some unfiltered truth into their, into their world. But I have read that, a, that fully a, a fourth of them, 25% of the new converts, the new Muslim converts that are coming to Christ are coming because they report they saw Jesus in a dream. He revealed himself This is more than an anomaly. There's too many people saying it. He's revealing himself in dreams to people who have no other means to hear his voice. The enemy thinks that he can stop the the work of the gospel by by political means or by social means or, or by any other form of pressure. But you cannot stop the word of God from going forth. You cannot stop the voice of God from speaking to the people who are hungry to listen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Are you listening? Are you listening for his voice? 
God sometimes has a still, small voice. That's what he said to Elijah, right? There was a still, small voice. He may have a still, small voice, but he's got a really big light. And that's what Saul encountered on the road to Damascus. See, Saul wasn't listening to God. He was moving very, very quickly in the opposite direction. Any of y'all ever done that? You know what God wants you to do, and then you turn and run as fast as you can in the other direction. God had to get his attention, didn't he? He had to get his attention to make sure he heard him, heard the call on his life. You see, sometimes God will knock you down and take your sight in order to give you vision. Amen. And that's what he did to Saul. Has there been some sort of significant attention-getting event in your life recently? Something that maybe sort of surprised you, kind of come out of the blue? Let me encourage you to stop and listen for the voice of God. Stop and listen for what God might be trying to say to you in that moment. See, I don't believe God causes everything that happens in our life, but I do believe God uses everything that happens to, in our lives to, to, for some work of grace and some form of goodness to happen in our lives. So no matter what's going on or what has happened or will happen, listen for the voice of God in those situations. Slow down and don't ignore what he's trying to say to you. I've had people tell me over and over again, God had to get my attention. He had to get me flat on my back before I could hear him speak. Is that what it's going to take in your life? before you listen for the voice of God. I'm trying to learn to listen to him when he speaks in those moments so that he doesn't have to scream. Because <laughs> it's a little painful sometimes when God screams. But it's his grace and his love that gets our attention. Amen? Amen. Is God calling you to surrender yourself to him? If he is, don't wait. If you haven't surrendered yourself to him, do it. He is calling you to relationship. Everything with God happens out of your relationship with Jesus. Now let me show you the, the, the account where Saul surrendered himself. And this is, this is a few verses down in Acts chapter 9, verses 18 and 19. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. He then got up and was baptized. You, they would not have baptized him had he not had a true conversion experience with the Lord. Afterwards, he ate some food, regained his strength. He stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Step one for Paul was getting in relationship with Jesus. And it's the same with us. Gifting, calling, anointing, appointing, effectiveness, perseverance, strength for the journey. Everything you need to do what God is calling you to do is wrapped up in a healthy relationship with Jesus. Amen. You say, John, I've got a relationship with Jesus. Good. Nailed it. Now, is he calling you to do something for him? Is he calling you to service? And let me help you with that answer. He is. He is. He's calling all of us to serve Him. 
There is no form of salvation where you get to just sit and soak and sour and just hang on until God comes and calls you home and rescues those poor people that have to live around you. Because when you are not fulfilling the purpose of God in your life, you're hard to live with. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And you live an unfulfilled life where you're, you get up in the morning and you wonder why you're even still here. God has purpose for everybody. It's probably in the 27 years of ministry, this month is 27 years. In the 27 years of ministry in my life, probably the most frequently asked question of me is what is God's will for my life? How can I know what God wants me to do? If I'm supposed to be changing the world, what is it that I, how do I start? Well, let me ask you again, are you listening? Are you listening? You say, well, John, I'm praying. Is that what I'm supposed to do? Well, that's a good start. But if your prayer time is just about you talking to God, how are you ever going to hear him speak? Amen. And, and, and here's, here's my prayer. Here's what I struggle with. with my little ADD self. If you don't spend enough time with him to quiet all the other voices that are screaming for your attention, how are you ever going to hear the voice of God? You see, I don't know that we have, I don't know that we have so many people that don't recognize the voice of God. I just don't think we can hear him through all the other voices. There's no replacement for hearing God's voice in our lives through the word, through his spirit, through whatever means he chooses. But if you're not listening, you'll never hear so what happens after Easter? We have to get busy changing the world, but that always begins with relationship, hearing God's voice. Now here's the second step, revelation. Revelation. And I want to show you that in Paul's life from his account to the Galatians in chapter 1, verses 11 through 18. This is what Paul said of his journey towards Christ. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand the gospel message that I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. Thank the Lord. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when uh, I followed the Jewish religion, how violently I persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I didn't rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. Establishing a relationship with Jesus is a bit like the resurrection. It's not the end it's the beginning. Amen. Your salvation experience was not the period on the sentence. It's just the dash. The whole rest of the chapter, the whole rest of the book is coming behind that decision. 
So you have to get involved. You have to get in the word. You have to pray. You have to worship. You have to serve. All of that stuff. You say, John, that's so cliche. It's cliche for a reason. Because it works. And there's really no, there's nothing else to bring growth as believers other than those, those spiritual disciplines. And it's in the process of growth that you begin to understand what God created you to do, what He's calling you to. It's the revelation stage. God reveals to you His will for your life. See, Paul didn't dive into full-time ministry. He preached the gospel a few times right after his conversion, but that wasn't his launch into ministry. God wanted to spend some time with him in Arabia. He went on the backside of nowhere for years, years, Jesus pouring into him, showing him things, preparing him, connecting some of the dots of his life. So that he could recognize that God was going to use all of those broken and mangled pieces of his life to make something beautiful. You see, life, life change starts with relationship, but it really starts to take form in the revelation stage. So let me ask you this. Have you prayed for revelation? Have you prayed for understanding Say, John, I've got a relationship. Good. Now ask him what he wants you to do about it. Ask him what he wants to show you, what he wants to tell you. Some of you may have heard the call to salvation and started your relationship. Some of you may have heard the call to ministry or to service, but it's not clear how to do it. Listen, it's vital for you to spend enough time with the Lord to start recognizing his voice, to start growing in your faith, And to start the process of revelation. The process. Now I said the process of revelation. Because it's it's often not an understanding. It's not not the full revelation. It's often just an understanding of the starting point. He rarely gives you like the 30 year plan. You, You understand it's not a download. You don't just plug into the main frame of heaven and then he just gives you step by step what's going to happen in your life for in the next 40 years. That's not how that works. And that's, that's the good news that that's not how that works. Normally, this process of revelation begins with just the next right thing to do. God rarely gives you the full revelation at the beginning. He, he just usually either shows you the starting point, or he might show you what he's going to do with you at the end of the process, but rarely does he show you everything else. Why is that? Because if he showed us everything, we'd just mess it up. Would mess it up. Either we'd get so full of pride in what he's, what he's going to do with us that we would make ourselves unusable because of that pride. Because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Or so if we, we'd either get full of pride and mess it all up, or we'd get full of fear because there's, there's always inevitably pain in the journey. There's no way to get fresh oil, no way to get fresh wine without the crushing process. That's why Jesus said you have to take up your cross and follow me. It's a road of sacrifice. And so sometimes we just shut it down before we ever got started. We're like, nope, I'm not going through that for anything. If you just take step by step by step, it works a lot better. Let me show you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. Maybe you haven't thought of this in this context. 
Paul said this, the apostle Paul, now we see things imperfectly. You ever look around your life and go, it's just not clear. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Paul also sees puzzling things when he looks in the mirror. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we see everything with perfect clarity. Then, then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I'll know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. You see, I don't think the partial vision that we have is a bad thing. I think it's the grace and the wisdom of God. It's the good news for us because it keeps us on our knees depending on Him moment by moment. So now that Easter's over, we have to dive headlong into relationship with Jesus so that we can get the revelation of His work in us and through us. But listen to me, those two things will never change the world. Your relationship with Jesus and His revelation to you, whatever it is that He reveals to you, those two things will not change the world. We have got to get to revolution stage. Revolution. History shows us the impact of the Apostle Paul's life. What was spoken to him in secret on the backside of the Arabian desert year after year was was revealed and fulfilled in him publicly for all the world to see. Paul could say at the end of his life, he could say it truthfully, eyes wide open about himself, I have fought the fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished my race. What race? The one that God laid out to him in the revelation process. Once he got the revelation, please don't miss this. This is the whole message. Once he got the revelation, he got busy. He got after it. Let me show it to you in James 1, 22. It's almost always in my prayer before I preach. It's in my, in, my, in my desires of my heart for me and for you constantly. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Doing is what turns revelation into revolution. Whether it's a spiritual truth that he's revealing to you or whether it's a specific calling of what your life is supposed to be about, God doesn't give you a revelation so you'll know something. He gives you a revelation so you'll do something. Amen. The full revelation is usually in the doing of the task. Sometimes even in the completing of the task before you can turn around and see what God did. You see, not long after Paul returned, God called him to put into practice what he had shown him. And what resulted from Paul's day-by-day obedience is nothing short of miraculous. It's, it's earth-shattering. It's, it truly is revolutionary. Thousands of people, probably tens of thousands of people saved. Jews receiving Gentiles as brothers and sisters. Miracles worked. 
people delivered, dozens of churches planted and established and grown, a third of the New Testament written by him and his hand. It was a revolution that changed the whole world, but it would never have happened if he had not been obedient to the relationship and the revelation of Jesus. Now this may surprise you, but I generally say a lot of things that surprise people. I don't care that much about what you know. As a matter of fact, it usually is off-putting for me when somebody comes and starts to tell me their pedigree and all of the things that they know and all of the books that they've memorized and all of this stuff. I don't really care that much about what you know. I care about what you're doing with what you know. You see, the American church and this is just a fact. This is not really up for debate. The American church has almost no positive influence on our culture. Amen. Done. And that impotence that we have in our culture is not so much a knowledge problem as it is an application problem. Here's what I mean. There are people in the Amer- all over America who know way more about the Bible and the big picture theology than most of the members of the early church did. Most of the people that you read about in the book of Acts don't, didn't understand what you understand about the Lord. But those folks laid down their lives for, the, for their faith in Jesus Christ. And we can't even lay down our cell phones long enough to read his word or to pray or to serve the least of these God's children around us. If God has called us to revolution, then we can't stop at revelation. We've got to get past the hearing and the knowing into the doing and the going. We have to. Otherwise, what did James say? You are deceiving yourself. Knowledge will deceive you. Revelation will deceive you into thinking you have relationship with Jesus. But just because you know something doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. That's why I don't care what you know as much as I care about how you're applying what you know. Last week was Easter, but the power of the resurrection remains vital to bring life change and world change. The harvest is abundant, but God doesn't need commentators or spectators. He needs people with a relationship with him, with a revelation of the work that needs to be done, and a heart that's willing to start a revolution in the world around you. But listen, you don't have to be called to change the planet. Let me ask you this. Who's going to step up and change your world? Who's going to step up and change your family? Who's going to face the giants in your family tree? 
Who's going to stop the curses that have been passed down from generation to generation? Who's going to draw the line and declare, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord? Where are the men and women of God who are willing to stand up and say, I've got the resurrection power of Jesus Christ living in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. So I am declaring victory over all of this stuff in my life. I'm the end of the line for what my family has been known for. No more poverty and addiction. No more anger and rage and abuse. No more laziness or craziness. No more perversion. No more gossip and slander. No more rebellion and strife. I'm not passing that stuff down to my kids and to my grandkids. They will inherit faith and hope and love. They'll get the rewards of a parent or a grandparent who was faithful to God. They're going to see the answers to my prayers. I have sown in tears and they're going to reap in joy my relationship with and my revelation of Jesus Christ is going to be a revolution in my family. Amen. 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 And you can do that, not because I'm excited about it, but because your Bible tells you you can. And listen to me, church. Who's going to change Bremen? Who's going to change Harrelson County and Carroll County and Paulding and Douglas and and all of the places that you came from? You drove here from those places. Who's going to change West Georgia? Who's going to call out the pride and the arrogance and the prejudice and the division and the strife that's happening in the body of Christ, much less in the culture? Who's going to declare and demonstrate the truth of the Word of God? Who's going to be, who's going to be the arms of Jesus to wrap around the widows and the orphans? Who's going to be the hands that serve and the feet that carry the, God, the good news of the gospel? If we have a relationship with Jesus and we have a revelation of his great commission, then why can't it be us? Why can't it be us? And remember, we're not praying to be the largest church in this area. We're praying to be the most influential church in this area. Because that's not the same thing. It doesn't matter if you've got 8,000 zombies in your church every week. I'd rather have 80 that are fully alive in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit who are submitted and sold out and ready to do what God says to do. One man, the Apostle Paul, changed the world with the revelation that God gave him. What could one church do in this area? I say it's time to find out. And listen, don't go get on your knees and beg God. He's ready. He's been ready. It starts with our relationship with Him. Becoming first and foremost 
above every other thing we've got going on. You can take your titles and your positions. You can take your job. You can take your income statements. You can take your property. You can take your net worth. You can take everything that, that, def- that we define each other by in our culture. And if your relationship with Jesus Christ does not supersede that, then there will never be a revolution of lasting proportions around your life and family. Because all of that other stuff passes away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But it's what we do based on this word right here that will last forever. So it's time we find out what happens when a church gets in lockstep with each other because they're all looking for and listening to the voice of God. What happens when a church gets in unity? What happens when a church refuses to fight about stupid stuff? What happens when a church gets together and refuses to get distracted by the stuff they could do and focus on the things they must do? It's time that we find out. Amen. There's two things about the process real quick that I want to mention to you. Number one, this process of moving from, revelation, from relationship to revelation to revolution will take longer than you wish it would. One of the, one of the leadership people that I listen to is Craig Rochelle. I don't think I've ever heard the man preach, but I love the leadership wisdom that he has. And he says, listen, you're going to overestimate what you can do in one year, but you're going to way underestimate what you can do in five. And I found that to be true. And why is that? Because momentum takes a while to develop. Momentum happens slowly, but once it gathers steam, it's worth the wait. And your, your impact multiplies instead of adds. So it might take longer than you wish it would, but it's worth waiting on. Here's the second thing. This process is not a straight line. These are not, this is not a Western mindset. This Bible is, has an Eastern mindset, and it's always about relationship. It's not about bullet points. It's not check boxes. It's not like, got the relationship, check. I'm looking for the revelation now. By next week, I'm going to have a, that's not how that works. It's not a straight line. It's a cycle. You constantly revisit the steps. Amen. You, you, you reconfirm or you deepen your relationship at different seasons through your life. You go back and you try to get a deeper or a clearer understanding of the revelation that God's trying to give you. Or, or you have to tweak the direction that you're going or refine the focus of what you're doing in order to continue the revolution that he started in your life. So don't think once you get this done, you got it whooped. It is a constant revisiting of these steps throughout the rest of your life so that you can maximize what God is trying to do in you and through you. Listen, it's time we do what the early church did after Easter. We start changing the world we live in. If you want a revolution, you have to have a revelation. And in order to get a revelation, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to stand with me, please. What is is he saying to you today? 
You say, well, pastor, I come to hear what you have to say. I come to hear what God's saying to you. Listen, this is what God's saying to us. But what is he saying to you? Because this is his general revelation for all of us, this word. But he has a specific revelation for you that he wants to give you so that you can have a revolution in your life. And I don't know about you, but I need a revolution in my life. I need some things to change dramatically for the better. I'm not talking about income. I'm not talking about stuff. I want to see the fruit. I want to see the fruit of a relationship with Jesus Christ. The spiritual fruit. I want to see the gifts. I want to see the the product of a life that's fully sold out to the Lord. And if you want that in your life, I want you to to just begin to pray. We're going to end this service the way we always do. This altar is open. It's always open. I'm going to pray over us, and and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts because that's what He does better than anybody. And if you're willing to hear Him, He'll point out the things that you need to begin to work on. So I'm going to ask the Lord to search us, but then we're going to open this altar because Jesus didn't say my house will be called a house of preaching. My house will be called a house of praise and worship. He said my house will be called a house of prayer because we need to be praying more than we need to be doing anything else. So if you've got something you need to pray about and everybody does at one time or the other, then I want you to feel free to come and pray and we'll be happy to pray with you about it, whether it's about this message or any other situation you've got going on in your life. We're going to sing a song. At the end of that song, we'll be dismissed together. But in this sacred moment for the next four minutes, I want you to listen for the voice of the Lord to you. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.